following audio is from Crossroads Church in West Ossipee, New Hampshire. For more information about Crossroads Church, you can go to www.crossroadsossipee.com. Hello. Well, hmm. Spirit of God is alive and at work this morning. The beautiful thing is you don't need to know what he's doing in order to recognize that that's true. (laughs) Mm. Um, We are continuing our work this morning in the Apostle Paul's first letter to Timothy. Uh, The young apostle sent to the church in the first century in the city of Ephesus to set things in a church in order. We're going to look at uh, chapter 6, verse 2 through 5, page 993 in the Pew Bibles, if that's helpful to you. First Timothy 6, 2 through 5. So we'll read that text and, and then we'll pray. Paul writes, Teach and urge these things. If anyone teaches a different doctrine and does not agree with the sound words of our Lord Jesus Christ and the teaching that accords with godliness, he is puffed up with conceit and understands nothing. He has an unhealthy craving for controversy and for quarrels about words which produce envy, dissension, slander, evil suspicions, and constant friction among people who are depraved in mind. And deprived of the truth, imagining that godliness is a means of gain. Let's pray together. Mm. Holy Father, we recognize the presence of your Spirit here this morning. Know that you're at work and I have no idea what you're doing. And that's all right. Pray, Lord, that your spirit will speak through your word this morning, and that our ears would be open and our hearts would be soft, that you would remove our stony hearts and replace them with the heart of flesh, that would truly be one, as you are one. We love you, Father. We entrust this time to you for your glory and our good. In Jesus' name, amen. I have no idea what the problem is. Um... I think maybe I'm just happy about freedom and being set free from a lot of garbage in my past, in my experiences in the church.
I used to think that this passage was about a person, about a, a false teacher, like one singular bad guy that you could identify and, and, and deal with, like in the movies. But it's not. Life doesn't work that way. That was nice on the microphone. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> I need a mute button up here. <laughs> I think that this text, I'm, I'm, I admit I had no idea what was going on when I write this sermon out. I think this passage has more to do with problems that come from different people, from different backgrounds and different philosophies and different ideas about how, what the church is and what it's for and what the church should be about. That might look fine at first. It might look totally acceptable and godly. But in the end, they don't really line up with the way of Christ. That don't really line up with the gospel. And the truth is, as often happens, at first glance, I took these verses, removed them from their context, and just read, okay, teach in these, urge these things, da 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 da. And uh, think that, that this is just about false teachers in general. By anybody that teach anything contrary to the gospel, contrary to scripture, or add on to scripture, add their own ideas. And that Paul was, was pointing out a person or, or different people who taught contrary to all of the doctrine, uh, and all the sound words that the Lord Jesus had given. And I was wrong. That's not it at all. Um, my, uh, one of my mentors used to say, a text without its context is a pretext. That we can take words from scripture out, out of their context and make them a pretext to accomplish other things, things we want to get done. Well, the Bible says, you know, do things my way, cause look, here's a chapter and a verse, right? Judas went and hung himself. Go do thou likewise, right? That's what we can do with scripture. Just take a piece and glue them together. But if we keep this passage in its proper context, we can see that Paul is referring to a specific doctrine, not doctrine in general. And don't be scared about the word doctrine. Doctrine, dry and boring. Who wants to talk about doctrine? The word means teaching. You don't want to talk about the teaching of Christ? I'm afraid you're in the wrong place. Because this is what we talk about here. I thought he was thinking about the teaching of Christ, doctrine in general, but he's not. He is referring back to the specific doctrines that we had looked at in all of chapter 5. Now, that's not fair if you have not been here in our study, 
but the Bible has been written down for a long time. You could have read it before you got to here. First Timothy 5 has been there for a long time. What was that specific doctrine Paul was talking about in chapter 5? It's the doctrine of honoring others within the church family. Honoring widows who are truly widows. Helping those who are truly in need. Serving those who have served us, especially our parents. Teaching the responsibility of adult children towards their aging parents. Respecting those whom God has entrusted the work of looking after us spiritually in the elders of the church family. And honoring those who are in authority over us. Serving them in our work to the best of our ability and honoring God by our faithful service. That's First Timothy chapter 5. You're probably wishing that maybe the sermons would have been that long and we would have gotten out earlier, but sorry, can't do anything about it now. What is at stake is the whole teaching of the gospel. Not just a little bits and pieces, but the whole gospel. See, because the gospel touches all aspects of our lives. It's not... The gospel does not begin and end with this is what you need to believe in order to be saved. Like, get the ticket punched, and that's it. That is not the whole of the gospel. It's how to live once we are saved. That's the gospel is concerned with. We can compartmentalize it and keep it in a little box that we carry to church on Sunday. It has to affect every corner of our lives. See, when we understand the gospel, the good news that Jesus died in our place on the cross to bear the burden and penalty of our sin on himself. And when we come to the realization of that fact, we trust in his uh, work for us. We trust in him as a person, as our God. And we'll follow him and his teaching throughout all of our lives. His Holy Spirit come and live within us. Okay, so how do you slice that up into seven even pieces and we take one of those pieces out and that's the, that's the, that's Sunday. And then we got six other slices of our loaf of bread that that's other. You can't do it. That's not how it works. The whole gospel, what Paul called in verse three, the sound words of our Lord Jesus Christ and the teaching that accords with godliness puts others first before oneself. I don't think that is at all coincidental that uh, uh, the Lord has brought to our attention John chapter 17 and the Lord's prayer, Jesus' prayer, for us to be united, to be one as he and the Father are one. That's a nice thought, isn't it? What does it mean? Hold hands, sing kumbaya. That's unity, right? It's not. Well, I mean, maybe, but maybe that's a little piece. But to truly be united in the gospel, that's to truly act like a family, like Paul has been describing. Mm. Puts others before yourself. That's what family does. The word sound there in verse 3 should have a footnote next to it in your Bible if you're looking at it. 
And there is another word that could be used in the place of sound. Anybody tell me what that word is? You have to be looking at the scripture. It's healthy. That's a funny word. Sound and healthy. The healthy words of our Lord Jesus Christ. His words lead to health and wholeness, not just, well, I come to faith in Christ, now all my health problems go away. Uh, I'm here to tell you that's not, it doesn't work that way either. Hmm. There are a couple of things happening here. First, since the Gospels, the book, Gospel, capital G, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, were not all written down at this time that this letter was written. And uh, those that were, they were not yet widely, widely publicized. Not everybody had a copy of them gathering dust in, in their living room like we do. Paul was recognizing the truth of what the scholars called divine inspiration. Uh, it's another word like doctrine. Blech. It's dry and dusty, divine inspiration. Every word of Scripture is God-breathed, right? That's what it means, divine inspiration. All of the Bible, though it was penned by the hands of men, was written by the hand of God, breathed out the breath of God. So Paul's words, he recognized, were the Lord's words. Not because Paul was perfect, or smarter than you, or better connected than anybody else. It was only because of the fact that the Lord chose Paul as his instrument to pass on the gospel to the Roman Empire and on down to us. We can trust his words to be God's word. That's really important. Because if you don't recognize this as God's word, like this, this part, not necessarily what I'm saying, although there's plenty to talk about there too. If we don't recognize that this is God's word, what authority does it have? It's just another book tell you to be nice. Well, that's what some people think. You won't find a whole lot of thou shalt be nice in here. That's not how it works either. But it's God's word. And God chose Paul as the, his instrument to pass on that word to the Gentiles and most of the Roman Empire uh, and down on through time to us. The second thing that's happening in that statement is that Paul is pointing out that the words of the Lord Jesus Christ are healthy teaching. They lead to health and wholeness and unity. And again, like I said, it's not a guarantee of physical health, but of spiritual health, of holy, uh, healthy, whole and united living within the church in the world for disciples of Jesus Christ. The healthy words of our Lord Jesus Christ and the teaching that accords with godliness puts others first. That is what all of chapter 5 and into chapter 6 was about. And this is, um, I don't know if you've been outside, but this is kind of the opposite of what the world wants you to, to think. This is opposite of the teaching of the world. What does the world say? It's me first. It's kill or be killed, right? Survival of the fittest. That's what they, that's what's being taught. You don't think so? You're not listening. The world teaches me first. What benefits me is the most important. 
making people slaves to their own pursuit of happiness and influence. But the gospel teaches us what? To put others first. That humble submission and service to Christ and to others are far more virtuous than influence and power and financial gain. Because that's what was modeled for us. Who is more powerful? Who is more influential than God himself? Right? And what did he do? Out of his interest for our best interests, gave himself on a cross. Made himself nothing. Though he's king of the universe. If anyone teaches a different doctrine and does not agree with the sound words of our Lord Jesus Christ and the teaching that accords with godliness, he is puffed up with conceit and understands nothing. Now, don't you want that to be you? Don't you want... It's like this scripture is written for me. Understands nothing. Yeah, that's me, man. That's what I want. Right? I don't think so. If anyone teaches anything contrary to this healthy whole unity in the gospel or of service and submission, of honor and respect, he is literally wrapped up in smoke. That's what the word, the Greek words mean. Though he espouses deep knowledge, he understands nothing. You remember the old story of the, the emperor's new clothes, right? And these, these guys had him convinced that only the finest people could see the clothes. And, and the emperor wants to be one of the finest people, so he pretends that he could see the clothes and nobody else could. And what happened to him? He paraded around town naked. Alright? This is exactly what is going on here. It's wrapped up in the smoke. You wear smoke as you close. Well, guess what happens when the wind starts to blow? <laughs> Off it goes. His knowledge is imaginary. Like a coat made of smoke that vanishes with the slightest breeze and his arrogance will be exposed. You know, arrogance is one of the biggest problems in the church. Where else can a person work his way into getting all kinds of other people to think he is terrific and listen to his every word? What, what other place can you go and get all kinds of people from all kinds of different places to stare at you for 20 to 35 minutes? Hmm. You understand why I'm feeling very uneasy this morning? Yeah, thank you. I, I'm not to play pop psychologist, but I, I heard someplace, and it was probably the internet or Facebook or something, where the, you know, some of all knowledge and wisdom is held, uh, that, that there are three yous. There are three different versions of you. There's the you that, that uh, other people think you are. Well, I would love to meet the people, the person that some people think I am. I would probably not, like cower in his presence. But there's the people, there's the person, there's the, sorry, the you that other people think you are. Uh, there's the you that you want people to think you are. And again, a terrific cat, I'm sure. But then there's the you that you actually are. And that, like, that's the you that's lucky to make it out of the house in the morning. They don't want to show off so much. Right? Because the you that you're seeing or the you that you're hearing is not the you that I know. Right? 
Does that make sense? It's weird, but that's kind of the way it is. And when we don't have a healthy grasp on that, when we're after power and influence, hmm, uh, that's chasing after a you that you not really are. Because uh, the, the word has different things to say to us about that. I don't know if that makes any sense. I'm going to go back to my notes. And this guy wrapped in a coat made of smoke. He has an unhealthy craving for controversy and for quarrels about words, which produce envy, dissension, slander, evil suspicions, and constant friction among people who are depraved in mind and deprived of the truth, imagining that godliness is a means of gain. Rather than being devoted to the healthy words of Jesus and the teaching that leads to godliness, these people, whoever they happen to be, have an unhealthy or morbid desire for disputes, for arguing, for the sake of arguing over words and philosophies and realities. I never met a person like that in my life, except for me. I remember in the years past loving to go to church meetings. And I don't mean church services. I mean like business meetings. You know? You go to the meeting because things are going to get hot and it's going to be fun. I can't wait until people start arguing about the color of the carpet and whether or not we should use real grape juice or cranberry juice or have candles on the table or or how we should dress or what we should do. I can't wait, you know? (sighs) What does that lead to? Does that lead to unity? Does that attitude lead to unity that Jesus was praying for for the church? I don't think so. So maybe that's what's wrong with me this morning. It's just my confession. Because this attitude leads to envy, dissension, slander, evil suspicions, and constant friction among people who are depraved in mind and deprived of the truth. You want to be described that way? I don't. But that's the me I really am. That's the me I used to be, I pray. Now, again, I'm, I'm starting to lean towards the idea that there's one bad guy, and it kind of sounds like it's me right now, um, but I don't mean it that way. But in truth, there are times we are, are tempted to be this way, to think this way, to act like this. We can easily slip into arguments over things that don't really matter in the grand scheme of things. As if we can actually ever win an argument. Who wins in an argument? Nobody. That's the best piece of premarital counseling I could ever give. You never win an argument because even when you win, you lose. Everybody loses an argument. Sometimes the desire to prove ourselves right is overwhelming. Nobody likes to be wrong. Maybe you do. There's something wrong with you. We all want to be right, and it wouldn't hurt if the rest of the world would agree with us. Right? We can finally get some things done. 
But as followers of Jesus, we're no longer depraved in mind. We're no longer deprived of the truth. We have the Holy Spirit living within us. We have been given new hearts. We have the Word of God. We have the Word of truth. We have Jesus Himself living inside of us, and He is the truth. But there are still those who don't. Or at the very least are misguided and don't understand His Word and imagine that godliness is a mean of gain. Now that's not just a way of making money. But it's a gain in terms of finances, gain in terms of influence, gain in terms of advancing worldly pursuits. Uh, Jesus said what good that is in Luke chapter 12, verses 16 through 21. He said the ground of a certain man yielded, of a certain rich man yielded an abundant harvest. He thought to himself, what shall I do? I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, this is what I'll do. I'll tear down my barns and build bigger ones. And there I will store my surplus grain. And I'll say to myself, you have plenty of grain laid up for many years. Take life easy. Eat, drink, and be merry. But then God said to him, you fool. This very night your life will be demanded from you. Then who will get what you have prepared for yourself? This is how it will be with whoever stores up things for himself, but is not rich towards God. What is our gain for? Whether it's financial or influential or whatever, what's our gain for? It's for use in the kingdom of God. Right? To bless others, not just take it easy. Now, there's, nothing, there's nothing inherently wrong with having worldly wealth. There's not excess virtue in being poor. Much to my chagrin. Paul talks about that, uh, he talks about that in the next few verses of chapter 6, who will, will talk about that. There are teachers and preachers and churches that sell their false ideas about godliness for great profit and build great structures and temples to their own teaching. But in the end, they're just a house of cards. And that's not to say, well, good thing we're not like them, because look how small we are. I don't mean that either. God's given us what we have to use for Him, not for ourselves. Well, you may be thinking, I'm glad this is not me. Well, I am glad. And let's make sure it stays that way, if it isn't you. And if, uh, and I would suggest a few Ideas to protect us each from becoming like these false teachers. And the first thing, if you're taking notes, this is when it starts. The first thing is to recognize the Holy Spirit's work in our lives. We must recognize, first of all, that as human beings, we are not basically good. The world wants to tell you that, too. Everybody's okay. You want to add religion... That's fine. But we're all all right. And we're all going to heaven anyway because we're alive and we like ourselves and other people. So how could we possibly condemn others to hell? God wouldn't do that either because he's just like us. No, he's not. That's not how it works at all. 
we must recognize the fact that we are, in fact, totally depraved. There is nothing good within us without the Lord. In doing this, we recognize our need for forgiveness, our need for a Savior, because if we're basically good, then Jesus died for nothing. And I don't think that's true. We must recognize our need for a Savior and that God alone could meet our need for a Savior. And He did that in the person of Jesus Christ, who lived a perfect life and died in our place on the cross, taking the penalty for our sin upon Himself, satisfying God's wrath against our sin. And once we put our trust in Him, He fills us with Himself in the person of the Holy Spirit, who empowers us to live for Him every day reminding us of what is right and what is wrong, and humbly submitting to Him, we can avoid arrogance and getting puffed up with conceit and wearing a coat made of smoke because we recognize who we are and we recognize that we are completely and utterly dependent on the Lord for everything. Hmm. The second key with the help of the Holy Spirit, is to know what God's Word actually says. Do you know, this is huge. To know what God's Word actually says. To know for ourselves what is the sound and healthy Word of Jesus Christ. What they really are. And what is the teaching that accords with godliness and faithful service and submission to the church family to know what those things are and follow them. If only there were a book written about that. <clears throat> it's actually, there has been one. It's very popular. It's the number one bestseller. <sighs> Don't be content to just come here on a Sunday morning every week and listen to sermon after sermon and think that's good enough. Go to the Word yourself. If you don't think America is a privileged country, I want you to go home, not right now, but when you go home, count the number of Bibles that are in your house. Just, if there's more than zero, you are incredibly privileged in this world. There are countries where it's not legal to own a copy of God's Word, let alone read it. And we have copies to spare in different versions, in different translations, maybe in different languages. I have one in my office in a language I can't read. I don't even know I have it, but it's there. I should send it to whatever planet it's from, because I don't know, Peru or something like that. We are incredibly privileged. And yet, this wonderful book that is so available to us, even in, in your pocket right now. If you have a smartphone, there's like a thousand different translations of the Bible available to you. And yet, we have more access to the Bible than anybody in the world, and yet, we don't know what it really says, because we don't read it all that much, myself included. I'm not just pointing all these fingers to you. There's all kinds of fingers pointing to me. We need to constantly dip our cups into the well that is, that is God's word to drink from the living water 
And if you need help doing that, if you're saying, well, yeah, I have a Bible. I don't know where to start. I don't know what to do. I start, I get to Leviticus and then I, I just don't, it all locks up. I get to numbers and it's just numbers. I don't know what to do. We can help. There, there are ways to deal with that, right? If you need help, if you need structure, there are lots of different Bible reading plans. I can help you uh, find some. I can print some out for you if you want. You can stuff it in your Bible. And, and if check marks are your thing, there are ways to satisfy that. To be, to be biblically literate, to know what the Bible actually says, is, is the, one of the great keys to avoiding error. We, to know what the Bible actually says. When someone says to you, well, the Bible is full of mistakes. It's full of contradictions. If you don't know your Bible, you can say, yeah, but, huh, that was me. I, ugh, I hate that. Because I didn't know what God's words really says. And now I know I can be a smart aleck and say, sure, show me. Full of errors? Show me one. I'd be happy to listen if you can, but you can't. No one can. But I didn't know God's word well enough to know that. Maybe you didn't until this very moment. The third key is really two for one. They are observation and discernment. These are things like all of these that need help of the Holy Spirit. We must pay attention to our motives and try to discern if they are right or not. And that's part of the role of the Holy Spirit, to help us know what is right and what is wrong, whether our motives are true and pure or not. We must uh, also carefully observe our words and the words of others. Do they line up with what we know to be true from God's Word? I started listening to a sermon on the radio. I know I've been talking for five hours, but I started listening to a sermon on the radio the other day because what's on the radio really uh, influences me. And what I tend to listen to really affects my attitude and behavior. And uh, since my brain started to work a different way, music is different for me now than it used to be. But I like... Rock and roll. I'm so sorry. So I start to listen to rock and roll. Some of my favorite bands. Oh, this just was when music was real, you know. Amen? Can I get an amen to that? Anyway, I know what that does to me, right? And it gets my spirit all tangled up. So I start listening for something else. And I'm... You know, I'm in a, in a truck and pressing the search button and I find a preacher and he's preaching and it's sounding good and, you know, he's, he's, and he makes some statement about, and if, if you're, if you're coming to Jesus and you come to faith in the King James only gospel and blah, 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 blah I'm like, oh, you lost me. You can only believe in Jesus if you read a King James Bible. Also, false. That's what I'm talking about. Have a discernment to say, but that's not right. Maybe some of the stuff you're saying is good, but you can't put the clamps on it like that. We need to be discerning about what we listen to. We must carefully observe our words and the words of others. 
Do we know what that? Do they line up with what we know to be true from God's word? There are those who would find some things that we do as a church family incredibly offensive. Um, how we dress or the freedom that we enjoy. But by careful observation and discernment, by examining what we do and how it lines up with God's word or whether it not it lines up with God's word, maybe not their traditions or history, Maybe that can stop an argument before it starts. Because we can look at first glance and say, whoa, whoa, no, you're wrong. Because I have a pre, like, preconceived idea of how things are supposed to be. But it's not measured on God's word, it's just measured on what I like. Oh, you come to church all fancied and wearing perfume and cologne and a tie and blah, blah, blah. So you must be this kind of person. That's not okay. That's not okay. By careful observation and discernment, we can stop those arguments. And writing people off, we can stop that before it even starts. Hmm. <laughs> I, uh, not everyone shares our views. But we must not allow a need to be right to make us walk all over other people in arrogance. Because the point of all of this was to honor others above ourselves, right? In reverence to Christ, who gave us the great commandment to love our Lord, our God, with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love our neighbors as ourselves. Deciding what somebody is or is like based on first glance, that's not right. We wouldn't want that done to us, right? We need to remember the sound and healthy words, sound and healthy doctrine of Jesus Christ that leads to godliness. And that's unity within the family of God, not just our little family here, but God's entire family. Because if we think we're it, when we get to God's eternal kingdom, there's going to be a lot of strangers there, and we're going to wonder what they're doing. Wait a minute, you didn't go to Crossroads. Who are you? Hmm. God's family needs unity, and it starts with us. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that your spirit brings it to life. Hmm. We thank you for the reminder that we are to be one as uh, you are one. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Lord, we ask for your help to let go of our past and the poor decisions we may have made. To let go of our um, slavery to tradition. to let go of our preconceived ideas of what Christians are really supposed to look like. Protect us, protect us, Lord, from arrogance that we not clothe ourselves in smoke, thinking that we are right and we're the only ones. Lord, 
I pray that your church would not be fractured. Because a fractured church is useless. But I pray that you would bring unity by the power of your Holy Spirit that only you can do. Pray that our hearts would be right before you. And that would not be our definition of right, but your definition of right. Drive us to your word so that we know what that is. Lord, we can't do any of this without you, without your help. We pray that you would give in by the power of your Holy Spirit for your glory and our joy. In Jesus' name, amen. If you would like to participate in the mission of Crossroads Church through financial support, checks can be mailed to Crossroads Church, Post Office Box 576, West Ossipee, New Hampshire, 03890.